0: Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now, here's your host, Jeff
1: Concepcion.
2: Jeff Concepcion is solely an investment advisor representative of Stratus World Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.
0: Jason Howard and Outcome Private Wealth are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. I'm very, very pleased to have the founding partner and wealth advisor from Outcome Wealth, Jason Howard, joining me today from Holiday, Utah. Uh, Jason has built a very, very successful business by caring deeply for his clients and providing extremely high levels of service, helping them navigate not only the complexities of the markets, but the complexities of life and, and making key decisions for them and for their families. Jason happens to be a certified financial planner. He's also a SEMA, an AIF as well. He holds a Series 7 and 66 through LPL and through Stratus Wealth Partners, his RIA. Jason's a devoted family man and nature lover, and there's a lot of nature to love in beautiful Utah, one of my prettiest and most favorite states in the country, uh, where he lives with his wife and three children. Uh, He believes that money's greatest value is the time it can buy, and that's something he lives by every day and something he works hard to coach. His clients on to help them achieve balance along with their financial success. So, with that, Jason, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, happy to appreciate the time, Joe.
0: Yeah, great to have you. So, I always like to get a sense as to how people came into the industry. Some did it with intention, and most others sort of stumbled. Uh, can you tell us what your path was into wealth management?
2: I'd say I was one of the ones that kind of stumbled, fell into the industry. The I was working at a bank twenty two years ago and. Came across an advisor who said he was going to "quote unquote" retire. That's a whole different story, but that's what got me through the door. And just a quick anecdote is, I grew up on a story that my dad always told of a missed opportunity. And you got some time. Sometime we'll we'll go dive down that. But that missed opportunity story has always motivated me to look when an opportunity comes at me much more carefully. And when I had the opportunity uh, to. You know, to become a junior advisor 20-some-odd years ago, took me about 24 hours to think about it. And I said, I want to be that guy. And that was history. I've, I've been here ever since.
0: It looks like it was a good decision, looking at what you guys have built today.
2: Yeah, I can't say that I regret the decision in any way.
0: So talk a little bit about sort of the path that led you to where you are now with Outcome Private Wealth. So maybe how you got started in the industry. And I don't know if that was a suggestion that you started off in a bank channel and and then what kind of led to the independent route for you?
2: Yeah, so I started out in a bank channel uh, as a junior advisor. I was supposed to get this you know, retirement book from a guy who said he was gonna move out. And he did the one thing that I absolutely dreaded the first day I walked in the office. He handed me a stack of phone numbers and said, Get on the phone so i literally was in the bank channel where they're supposed to refer everybody to you and i started dialing for dollars my first week got through that i decided i was committed and i was going to do it and uh you know evolved through that channel pretty rapidly um learned a lot from those around me and you know did it mostly through lateral thinking i don't think in boxes i don't think that there's a specific way that anything has to be done I adopted the philosophy the first day that no was not that way. It did not mean it couldn't be done. It just meant it couldn't be done that way. And so we've always just gone with that philosophy moving forward. In fact, every one of my associates knows that before they come to me and say, Jason, it can't be done, they better have made darn sure it can't be done.
0: It's funny to hear you say that because I believe that 99 out of 100 times you can get there. You may not get there the way you thought. It may not be exactly how you planned to, but and occasionally, there's things can't get done. But from what I found, it's extraordinarily rare if you really pursue and push. And so it's interesting to hear you say that. So I know that the independent path view is something that you've given thought to for quite a while. What ultimately led you to uh, take your team independent?
2: You know, I, it took a catalyst because it was always something that was in my mind as, hey, you know, there's, there's the independence, there's the freedom, there's the opportunities, there and so it had always been in the background but ultimately it took a catalyst it took an event at the previous firm that said you know what this firm cares more about the way they do business and the way their bottom line looks and the way their reputation looks than they do about the client and i promised myself when i started in this business that i would never move channels just for a different name on the building i wouldn't move channels just for a paycheck i would only move it if i could increase what I could bring to my clients. And the only way to do that coming from the channel that I was in was to go independent. Because that was the only way we could actually have the ability and the freedom to bring more to clients. And so that's what brought us here.
0: Yeah, I've heard you say in previous conversations that you're passionate about the client experience. I think I've heard you use the word fanatical about the client experience, and clearly that was a catalyst to drive you here because in the independent world, you really have greater control than you than you would elsewhere on what you deliver, how you deliver it, and how you want to care for the client. But talk about what that fanaticism is about the client experience. And how does that lead into the way that your team delivers a planning experience?
2: You know, I tell clients all the time, I work for them. All right. And I had a client one time say, you know, I said, well, why didn't you tell me about that money over here? And They said, well, we didn't want to have to come and ask dad if we wanted it back. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We work for you. All right. First and foremost, now you hire us To tell you what may be a bad decision, right? And to give you that value. But at no point do we work for anybody but our clients. And that was the same thing at our previous firm. I always told clients that at the end of the day, my loyalty was to them first and foremost, because they're who pay the bills. They're how we make a living, right? And I like the job security of doing that. In 2008, when the financial markets were melting down, it was a real decision point for me. I had to sit back and say, okay, do I want to stay in this business? The best and brightest of Wall Street just got the rear ends handed to them. All right? And everybody is trying to guess how to get through this. And it came across to me that I heard another advisor, I said, you know, he was a senior guy, had a lot of experience in the business, I said, how do you get through these times? And he looked at me in the eye and he said, well, you can always get a new client. And that was the exact right and wrong thing to say to me. It was the right thing because it told me that no one could care about clients as much as I did, All right. There may be better advisors, smarter advisors, I'm sure out there, but finding somebody who's going to be more committed to taking care of them in every way we can wasn't going to exist, All right. And it was the wrong thing to tell them, maybe because you know it just took that experienced advisor, and I'm just like, dude, you are garbage. You know, it's there isn't just another client. These people entrust us, um, and I've always thought this is the most fascinating business in the world because where else can I meet you for the first time? And in an hour, convince me, convince you to give me your entire life savings. Right? Um, I just, I don't know any other business in the world that allows people to do that. But it is that fanaticism. It's that, you know what? We have to care about these people. They have entrusted us, right? Either overtly, hey, there's everything, Jason, if you think it's a good idea, I'll do it. Right? Or, hey, you know what? I want you to do this piece. I like your advice. They're still entrusting us to do. service by them. And so for me, we have to take every step we can not to fail them. And that means that we have to look at the whole picture. Right? I can't be a doctor and diagnose you. Oh, it hurts. Okay, well, take two aspirin and go home. No, no. She's the one who hurts. It's not me. You know what? We miss so much by not asking the questions. So if you're not asking the questions, you're not finding out the plan. If you're asking the questions, you are finding out the plan. Right? And clients know that if they're going to work with me, they're going to have money with somebody else, but I have to know where it all is, or it just doesn't work.
0: What, talk a little bit about the planning process. When someone is a client, what's the cadence typically of when you meet? How deep do you guys get into the financial planning relative to the estate planning and gifting and retirement projections? Is there a software in particular, or a few softwares that you use to help deliver that experience?
2: So we have a very regimented reviews. Clients, it's probably one of the things clients most appreciate about us over the years, they know what to expect. And I found the way to keep clients calm in markets like these is to have clear expectations of what we're going to do next. So they know that the first of the year, they're going to get a call or an email from our team that says, hey, it's time for your first review. And that first review, they know that we're going to cover everything that happened last year and our forecast for what we think is going to happen this year. And we're not going to tell them just all the fluffy. We're going to say, hey, these are the decisions we made right. These are the decisions we made wrong. These are the decisions we made early. right? And here's where we think we're going to go. That meeting is about avoiding analysis paralysis. It's about saying, hey, you know what? We know there's lots of information out there, but here's what we believe. Here's why we believed it, when we believed it. Here's what made the decisions we did. And here's where we think we're going. We review performance and that. Second meeting of the year is planning. All right. It's about everything that is in your life that isn't your money directly, because it all is affected, right? It's all intertwined, right? I tell people all the time, there are no secrets from your financial advisor, because it all shows up on the balance sheet at some point. Right? And so that second meeting is about their life that is outside of the accounts that we manage. Third meeting of the year is always that tax planning and, and kind of close out the end of the year, right? And so we've designed software, we've bought software, we've pulled in information to meet each of those three meetings. Now, some of our really high net worth clients we might talk to in between, but they still know that there's gonna be those three core meetings. Our smallest clients still get at least two of those compressed into each other, but we are gonna cover those three core topics for every client that we serve, no matter what. And so our first meeting, has, you know, we use a little bit more performance based software. We like some different systems. You know, Y Charts has got some awesome presentation stuff. Quanti's got some really cool tools um, for analysis around that. Orion's got some decent reports that we can put out from that standpoint. Second meeting, planning. We use Money Guide, eMoney, Money Guide, I think are both excellent pieces of software. I've seen a few others, but those are the two that I have liked best. We chose MoneyGuide because it simply integrated a little bit more seamlessly with more of the other systems that we use. And we liked the output of the report, the actual input of the process. There's some advantages to, I think, the e-money side. But the output that we gave to clients, we liked what MoneyGuide had. It just felt more user-friendly. I think clients like simple. It doesn't have to be complex in order to portray that information. Third meeting of the year, more around tax planning. We use a system called FP Alpha, does some phenomenally cool things with a tax return where it scans it in and takes the data and filters it and gives us some great information. It's a really nice summary that now allows us to have a very high level, very impactful conversation with CPAs so that we are bringing that additional value to clients.
0: And is there a particular client profile, or would you say that it's fairly diverse? What what do the clients tend to look like account size-wise, industry-wise? Are there any pockets or nests that you've built intentionally or sort of by chance?
2: Um, For the last 20 years, I've been a little bit of a niche in preferred stocks, a very, very specific segment of preferred stocks. And so I have a number of clients who we have exposure. We've done a lot of income planning through that. And so I'd say thematically, if there's anything in our book that, you know, has a theme, there would be income planning. Outside that, our practice is not a bunch of advisors who all do the same thing working together. We are a segmented practice. Each partner has a specific category that they focus on. They have specific duties. That's their specialty. Clients want a team of individually unique advisors, not a team of the same advisors. And so we built the practice around that. I tend to service high net worth complex cases and I run the business. So I work advisor to advisor, but I do a lot of that focus. I've trained and mentored a lot of guys into the business and helped a few guys retire out of the business, but high net worth complex. uh, My book is less than a hundred relationships that I deal with on a day-to-day basis of clients. And if you did an average net worth, I'm probably somewhere in that three to 10 million as an average, but we service everything from, you know, nine figure net worths down to, for me, I don't do anything under seven. So nothing under a million dollars for me personally, but our practice handles the full gamut.
0: Now, that sounds good. And can you talk a little bit about client acquisition? Was there a particular process in the early days? I know you You said you were dialing for dollars and making new relationships, but how has that evolved and how have you acquired a lot of the clients that are in the book today and how do you develop sort of new business presently and going forward?
2: Yeah, you know, I always wonder how I do that because I I constantly am looking at that going, how did I get where I was? It's about that service model. It's literally driven around how do we deliver to clients and how do we get them talking about. My fantasy is always that you're at a cocktail party and you say to whoever, hey, I just sold my business. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I came into some. You talk about money and somebody in the room says, have you talked to Outcome Private Wealth? Not that they're the only ones, but have you talked to them? When we have that kind of word of mouth reputation of if you haven't talked to them, you got to at least have them on the table. That's when I know we've succeeded. And so everything I do is around that. My wife rolls her eyes every time we go anywhere and somebody asks me a finance question, she's like, did you have to ask that? He's gonna talk forever now, right? Um, I'm a geek though. I mean, you ask me football stats, you ask me sports stats, you have any of that kind of stuff, I'm gonna be like, I got a partner who can tell you all about that stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't have room in my brain for it, all right? but you want to talk finance or you want to talk outdoor, I can talk all day long. So I live what I do. And I think that's the way that we gather clients most. We moved, what, three months ago? And I'm the only guy in the office thus far, but I've had five new clients join that were not clients, not even contacts before we left. From that word of mouth, from that experience of just hey, these guys have done this, you may want to
0: talk. So there's a lot that happens from existing clients, goodwill, referrals. Are COIs part of it? Do you guys work closely with law firms and accounting firms? Are you sending them business or any of them referring business back? What's that sort of professional alliance look like loosely?
2: Yeah, we're always, always developing that. I will tell you that referrals from CPAs have been Miss over the years. If you can get a true alliance with one, it can be some nice synergies. It's finding those that are willing to actually make that alliance. Attorneys, I think it's the type of attorneys. The problem with the state attorneys is that by the time you find them, every guy out there is sending business to them. And so they have to be very careful with, hey, this is who I send business back. But we have a couple of those that we've just developed a reputation for. They know that when a client is with us, they know what the process is going to look like. They know how seamless is. They know we're going to do the implementation. We're going to do it right. We're going to follow up with the attorney. And so we've got a couple of those. I think divorce attorneys are your best option for outside attorney COIs because money's in motion. Every time they're meeting with somebody, money's in motion. And so that's always been the opportunity. That's a, I've had a few of those over the years. Unfortunately, they tend to retire and get out of the business. I think there's something about burning out in that particular industry. So those are the COIs. Most of it is business networking. You know, I mean, we've got some big business owners. You start, start talking C suite level people, they talk to each other and they talk about their money. And so that's where I've seen some of the best uh, referral source.
0: Good, good. That's really helpful. From a team structure standpoint, can you talk? I know you mentioned advisors kind of running individual practices, each with various levels of expertise. But can you talk what the firm looks like from a structure standpoint in terms of partners and support and kind of how you have built the infrastructure to deliver that client experience?
2: Yeah. So we are, like I said, it's, it's a team of specialists each in their own area. So I'll start with kind of the associates. I mean, we've got one associate who her job is onboarding and client experience, right? So if you're a new client in the first 90 days, She has a roadmap of exactly what you're going to go through during that 90 days, and it's check the box, go through. She then would hand you off to our operations specialist, all right? That associate is tons of years of experience in operations, and she just executes really quickly, really efficiently, follows up, all right? We've got a very strict follow-up guideline at the firm, whether it's email, text, or phone call we're very, very particular about that. And then we have a associate who specializes in all of our trading and research. All right. So we don't have three associates who handle everything, although they've all been touching every client recently, but they each have their specific duties. There is a designated backup for when you're out of the office. So we don't cross train everybody in every duty, but we cross train at least one or two other people in each area. Then you get to the partners. I've got one partner who specializes in behavioral finance, how you think about your money. And that's his passion. He loves people. He loves the process of that. He likes planning. And so he specializes in that real behavioral side of the financial picture. I've got another partner who focuses more in the ERISA world. And, you know, what designations you need to have there and what's or the right type of plan. So he does a lot of retirement focus, a lot of income planning, and really kind of acts as our specialist on that income planning side of it. And then myself, like I said, planning is is my world, complexities, um, where I can dive in and really look at the nuances, coordinate with the attorneys, the CPAs. That's where I have some of my most fun. I will say that every partner in our firm is credentialized, right? We're SEMA, CPWA, CFPs, AIFs, Masters in Finance, Masters in Economics. We believe heavily in being credentialized and in constantly moving that needle and improving what we're bringing
0: to clients. Now, that's super helpful. I know you mentioned earlier, I think before we started, that the team has been Together for give or take close to a decade in large part. I'm sure there have been some additions as you've grown. Anything unique from a compensation or bonus standpoint? Because obviously it's very difficult to find good people today. It's very difficult to retain good people. And I've said this, you know, ad nauseum, but people talked about a war for talent for years. And I thought that was baloney. The last couple of years, there's a lot of substance to it. It is really hard. So what are you doing to make your people feel engaged and satisfied in the workplace and committed to spending, you know, their careers with outcome?
2: Yeah, uh, I have always believed that you pay for value and you need to look beyond how many dollars are in your pocket. Value brings me time. Value makes my life easier. Value makes my stress easier. I've always looked for people who complement my weaknesses, right? For example, I hate to be on the phone. I love to talk to my clients and I will call and talk to a client all day long. But I hate picking up the phone to call out to a client randomly and say, hey, how are you doing? Right. That's just not who I am. Right. I got a partner. He'll call up and have a social conversation, never mention a single thing about business randomly. And the client feels comfortable. To me, the client's like, why are you calling? This is awkward. Right? So when it comes to associate staff, I did the same thing. Right. I knew I didn't want to do my scheduling because I lost too much time trying to explain to the client why they needed to come in and talk to me rather than just telling them over the phone. So we hired somebody just to do scheduling, right? For me, taking that off my plate, making sure that I was meeting with my clients consistently and not having to worry about whether they were getting in here and not having to waste that time on the phone, that was worth a lot of money to me in dollars and cents, right? So when you talk about compensation, I always said when I was at my previous firm that I wanted to have the three highest paid associates in the office, right? Not because I wanted to give them a lot of money, but because I wanted everybody else to envy that I had them. And so I had the three highest paid associates in the office for a reason, right? When we came over here, we took some structure and we uh, levelized the comp between the three of them because they, at the end of the day, all had an intrinsic value. So we levelized their base comp and then we put a bonus structure in place for our transition where we paid them for every 10% interval of assets that we came in and we doubled it. So they started out with a bonus and then it doubled for the next 10%, it doubled from there for the next 10%, it doubled from there. You start getting into a six-figure bonus if we hit 90 to 100% of our assets, you'd be amazed how hard people will work for that kind of money, right? It's a fraction of what we'll earn over the lifetime of the relationship. It's well worth the money spent on the front end to have them. And it's, it bleeds over to conversation. It bleeds over to enthusiasm. It bleeds over to when they're talking to clients, the client calls up and they've had an issue or a problem when the person they're talking to is excited that they're there. And they're like, you know what, I'm sorry, we'll get that fixed. That covers up for a lot of mistakes that happen along the way. So I'm a firm believer in high compensation. I always laugh when I talk to advisors, particularly on the East Coast and they'll be like, yeah, we pay our associates $30,000, $40,000 a year. I'm like, how do you get a good person for that? And lucky you, because my associates all make six figures.
0: Yeah, it's, it's important. I think you hit on a couple of things. You get what you pay for, number one. The second thing is when you're thinking about talent and profiles, you recognize what you're really, really good at. And you recognize things that either you don't like or you're not as good at. And you try to hire someone who's complimentary. That allows you to excel and then kind of fills in in the gaps. So that all makes good sense. I also like the incentive comp. When those assets coming over, it would mean something to the staff, regardless, right? They want the firm to do well, but when it materially affects them financially and they're rewarded and they're sharing in that, I think the level of energy and zeal is going to be at a higher level because now they're acting, thinking, and being rewarded like an owner. So it makes really good sense. And um, we actually, on
2: that note, Jeff, we we set up a phantom ownership. For our three best associates who are kind of the core of our practice. And so forevermore, we have offered them for better or worse, anything that outcome grows to, they will gain a percentage of that on an annual bonus standpoint. So it's amazing when you make somebody an owner, how differently they think.
0: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I'm curious. So, you know, the life on the independent platform has only been for a short while. Any particular surprises or mostly sort of what you and the team had anticipated leaving the mothership of a, of a large warehouse?
2: Well, it's about what I expected, which means that there, there were things I didn't know I didn't know and that I had to learn because I knew there would be something. Right? Yeah. And there were things that were about what I expected. There have been a few things that were a little better than I expected. But no, it's it's been pretty much... You know, what I thought. I will say that uh, learning to deal with benefits and HR and payroll, I knew I'd have to do that. I knew it wasn't going to be like fun for me, but some of it was like pulling teeth. In fact, I actually had to have a tooth pulled during this whole process. That may have been why.
0: Those are the things things that we delegate, the things that you don't like doing. That's where we go to those three rock stars in your practice and continue to delegate. So you got it. So what advice would you give to folks who are looking to grow and build you know, a business that can last over time? It sounds like you know, driving a tremendous experience to the clients makes them sticky. It makes them great at referring. It sounds like bringing on really talented people, compensating them really well and recognizing them as partners. What else? If, if I'm looking to build an enduring business and a growing business, what would you say are some of those key ingredients that have helped you and the outcome team?
2: See, and I was hoping you'd ask me if they were new in the business, how to get into the business. Because I'd tell them don't because I don't want any more competition. (laughs) It makes it easier on me. Um, You know, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your practice. All right. I have an old saying from when I started and it's you need cheeks in the seats. Right. find your niche. Find your unique way to put people in front of you. Because there is a volume to what we do, right? And the more people you can be in front of, the more chance you're going to have of opportunities to do that. Now, if you put yourself in front of the right people and you have the right skill set, you're going to win a lot. Right? So those are other two components is not just putting people in the cheeks and the seats, but also putting the right cheeks in the seats, right? And that can be different. There are so many different models to this business. So many different ways. I see guys who do it in sheer volume. I see guys who specialize more in high net worth. I mean, I know guys who have like 10 people in their practice and that's it. Right. And that's, that's all they want. If guys like me who are somewhere in between and I, I've seen guys with thousands of clients and I've been there. I mean, at one point I had 2,500 relationships was not the model I wanted to live my life by. So I would say define who you want to be And you got to be introspective. You got to understand who you are, right? You can't say, hey, I'm going to be a brilliant at at this if it's not what your skill set likes, right? So define who you want to be. Figure out who it is you can best serve. Find a way to put them in front of you, right? Get those cheeks in the seeds, And then repeat it. And don't reinvent it. Just do it over and over and over. And I found one day when I was in the business, I'm like, man, I am so tired of saying the same thing to this client. I have got to change it up. And I fumbled the way through it. I'm like, it's the first time they've heard it. So it doesn't matter how many times I've said it, it's the first time they've said it, right? The first time they've heard it. And so I need to make sure that I have the same enthusiasm, the same drive, right? And I will tell you at the end of the day that sincerity, right? To what you are and who you are makes more impact on clients than anything else, right? When I tell a client something, they very rarely will doubt me in the slightest because they know the process that it took me to get before I said that to them. And they care about that genuine, genuine people in this business make a big difference. Because people smell a salesman a mile away. And I hate sales. I always want to say I'm not a salesman. Then I sell myself all day long, every day. right? But it doesn't feel like that because I'm doing what I care about. And that's what clients see.
0: No, it makes good sense. It makes good sense. So yeah, I really, I appreciate you sharing uh, all these thoughts. I want to congratulate you on all the success that you and your team have had. Thank you. We're coming down to the closing which is podcast karaoke and i don't know if it's something that you intend to do on your own if you're going to drag some team members in to sing with you or <sighs> uh
1: yeah i didn't warn them but i'm going to drag them in here because there's no way you're going to get me to sing on my own
0: oh no sol- no solo today huh <laughs> no solo from
1: this point give me just a second i'll grab them
0: all right buddy come here yeah, get over here get over here you can do this with me come on
1: I ruined my black tie. Get over here. The last one to know, the last one to show. Come on, you're you're still laughing at me. I was the last one you thought you'd see there. I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne. <laughs> and I toasted you and said, Honey, we make you through, but you'll never hear me complain. <laughs> Cause I got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my moods away, <laughs> Shane you post that, I'll be okay, <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> yeah I'm not big on social graces but You're <laughs> down. <on the> <laughs> oh man jeff i must like you to humiliate myself like
0: that i don't don't think i've ever seen anybody have more fun the entire time than you guys thanks for listening to the evolving advisor if you enjoy the show please subscribe and share it with your colleagues and if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions please drop us a line we would love to help you in any way we can Advisors associated with
2: Stratus Wealth Partners may be either one, registered representatives with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, and investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners, or two, solely investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. Investment advice offered through Stratus Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor, and separate entity from LPL Financial.